Love and Sin in the Power of the Tongue Shalom! Thank you for joining us for the Sermon of Sunday, August 29th, 2021 from Christchurch, Jerusalem. Our tongues have the power to change the world and to defile us. Reverend Aaron Imey reminds us that we should use our words to love God and one another. God is ever calling to us, and our attention should be fixed on Him. We must know the voice of the Beloved so we can respond to Him and so understand what it is we are to do and what to say. Friends, before we continue, we thank you for listening. As the pandemic continues, the tourists have not yet returned to Israel. Our ministry funding usually comes through the generosity of visitors to the church, guest houses, museum, and those traveling with Shoresh study tours. As we continue to pray for the end of the pandemic, we ask you to remember us in your prayers and in your charitable giving. Stay connected with us through Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and our website, ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Now, on to the lectionary readings. Our first reading today, Song of Solomon, chapter 2, beginning with verse 8. Listen, my beloved, look here, he comes, leaping across the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Look, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice. My beloved spoke and said to me, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. See, the winter is past, the rains are over and gone, flowers appear on the earth, the season of singing has come, the cooing of doves is heard in our land, the fig tree forms its early fruit, the blossoming vines spread their fragrance. Arise, come my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is from James chapter 1, beginning with verse 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of all he created. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious 
and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows and their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This is the word of the Lord. Our gospel portion is from Mark chapter 7, verses 1 to 23. Please stand as we hear the good news from the king himself. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders, instead of eating their food with defiled hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, and their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father and mother is put to death. But you say, if anyone declares that what they have, or what they might have has been used to help their father or mother is korban, that is, devoted to God, then you will no longer let them do anything for their father and mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like this like that. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull? He asked. Don't you see that anything that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For if it doesn't go into their, for it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of the body. Saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on. What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Going to put a timer on. Otherwise... um, Someone said that they'll pick their nose to tell me when to stop. That would be my signal.
But no, seriously, I do try to keep them to 22 minutes. And seeing as how most of the readings had something to do with the, the tongue, it's going to be really simple. Once I get to 22 minutes, I'll just stop and say, Jesus loves you, now shut your mouth. Uh-huh. Is, that, is that good? All right. <clears throat> and then we'll edit that out from the podcast. <laughs> now, under normal circumstances, most of us have two ears and one mouth. You've all heard the, the expression, please use them in that proportion. And most of us know somebody who doesn't. That could even be ourselves. <laughs> Words, as you all know, are incredibly powerful. Proverbs 18.21 says, The tongue has power over life and death. And uh, on one of my many birthdays, I got a a book that was uh, the 10 greatest speeches in the world. You know, like Winston Churchill's, um, Malcolm X, and uh, Martin Luther King. I mean, there's some powerful speeches. And words, being so powerful, can actually change a nation's history and the world history which is incredible. Guns don't seem to be able to do it, but boy, words can. And Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So there's always a connection between uh, where words come from, which as we've seen in our readings, the heart, and what you can do with them, what you should do with them. So as we explore some of the readings today, let's look where words come from and how'd they get there? So looking at our first text, Song of Solomon, in Hebrew, Shira Shirim, Song of Songs. It's not often that that uh, book appears in our lectionary. Uh, it's a very interesting book. There was a, a, a long debate, actually, on whether this book should or should not be in the Bible because of its um, erotic content. And... Uh, when you're when you're at the yeshiva world, um, actually the first book you study in the yeshiva world is Leviticus, and one of the last ones you ever study is Song of Songs, and uh, it happens to be one of the only uh, books in the in the Hebrew canon where you deliberately read it allegorically, because if you if you take this book literally, and people do then you've got to start asking yourself, what is an erotic love poem doing in my Bible? Because uh, sometimes the, the text is being very kind to us and disguising some of the really juicy things that Shulamit's going to do when she gets her hands on Solomon. You go, ooh, it's kind of nice. Where he says something like, I'm staring at your navel. No, you're not. You have two characters in that book. One is identified as Solomon. The other one is actually an unnamed woman. She's called the, the Shunamit, but it, uh, it's more like a title than it is actually a, uh, a name. And the, the, it's an incredible book, a little dance and a weave where the two chase each other. And sh- the, the lady is guided by the voice of Solomon. So our connection with hearing voices and the power that that has. It gets her excited. It directs where she goes. She can hear when, she's, when he's calling. She gets up 
and will follow. She knows that he's, he's approaching, and it's uh, enticing, and it's intimate. Now, according to the Bible, Solomon has an absolute plethora of women, yes? And when you read Song of Songs, the girl doesn't talk about any of the other women. She doesn't say, oh, the voice of Solomon's coming. I can't wait to talk to him about all these other girls he's got. She's not interested in that. And Solomon's not interested in any of the other girls either. They are only interested in each other. They've got that intimate, unique relationship. And if it is an allegory, and I think it is, between God and his people, how many people call on the name of the Lord on the planet today? Two billion And when we're praying to the Lord, it's him and us. When he's speaking to you, he doesn't go, well, Aaron, I'd like to talk to you right now, but my gosh, I've got lots of issues in Afghanistan right now. No, really, I'm I'm kind of distracted. You're on your own, buddy. There were a lot of other girls, but the Shunammite doesn't care about them, and neither does Solomon. Our relationship with the Father is unique It's intimate. It's personal. And when you hear his voice, you can be directed and get up and get excited. And uh, it's a fantastic relationship. And just off to the side, this text, in in the Hebrew of this text, chapter 2 of of Song of Solomon, uh, it's where we get this interesting word, kotel, Anyone ever heard of the kotel? The the word kotel only appears once in the entire Bible. And this is it. You don't call the Western Wall the kir, which is a wall, or a choma. You call it the kotel. Why would you call it such a thing? Because of the way you read this text. Who's standing behind the kotel? looking at you, watching, calling, speaking. Allegorically, it's God. And so when you go down to the Kotel, when you stood there and you prayed, the interpretation, the tradition was, God is behind there, because that's what it says. He's behind the Kotel, looking at me, calling us. And so they, they applied that this, this reading to that Sacred space. That's why we call it today the Kotel. But it's worth noting that this, the, this, this uh, relationship hinges on knowing the voice of the beloved, recognizing his call, and responding to it. And that imagery begins to, is played out in the Gospels, yes. And I want to just quickly touch on the epistle reading. Uh, James. Now, the epistle is often one of those books that um, can, can sometimes thought of as a, as a book that leans towards works righteousness. And I think that that's actually unfair and not true. Because verse 17, if we read it, it says, every perfect gift and good gift, but sometimes is translated, and every generous act is from who? It's from God. 
And so God gives you the perfect gifts. God gives you the generous deeds to do. It's not I'm doing these things to earn my salvation. God is giving them to you to do. Uh, Martin Luther, unfortunately, wanted it out of the Bible. I'm glad he didn't succeed. It starts off, very interestingly, by saying to the 12 tribes who are living in diaspora, which is an interesting way to start an epistle, um, because sometimes we often get the idea that they're lost. You ever heard of the 10, 10 lost tribes? James seems to think he knows where they are. They're in diaspora, and I'm writing in a letter to them. And we read that uh, Anna the prophetess was from the tribe of Asher, which apparently was lost. It's up uh, Naharia area and in bits of Lebanon. Actually, uh, Tyre is in um, the territory of Asher. Um, they're not lost. They're here. And James, to the 12 tribes, these were the Jewish believers in the Messiah, um, and sometimes the, the translators try and hide that fact. They shouldn't. They should just let the text speak. Uh, next week in chapter 2, we read where um, uh, James says, uh, when you meet in your assemblies, that's our English translations, it's very disappointing that they translate it that way because the word is actually synagogue. Everywhere else, synagogue is translated synagogue. This is the synagogue of Satan. The synagogue of this, those Pharisees in their synagogues. But as soon as you get to believers, now nah, it's assemblies. It's a, it's, a, it's a translational bias, and we should not do that. These were Jewish believers in, in Jesus. Great! And uh, they were meeting. And James has a lot to say about the tongue, as we know. And... The tongue was always connected to the heart. When we read in our text that uh, in chapter, verse, I think it was 20-something, anyone who listens to the word, now where's the word? Anyone who listens to the word and doesn't do what it says is like someone who looked in a mirror and forgot what he looked like. But where was the word that you're supposed to be listening to? The word was in your heart. The word that is planted in you. Who planted it there? The Lord did. Now, okay, I can get very Calvinistic if you want and say the Lord plants it in there, everything's done by the Lord, he gives you all the perfect gifts, you don't have to do anything. I, th I think it's, that's a very simplistic way of looking at it. The text seems to suggest something else. There's a relationship. God plants the word inside. Our response is to listen and then put it into practice. And that is a relationship. It is not works righteousness. Those are two very different things. This is the right relationship. In verse 26, it says the tongue can actually reflect a deceived heart. Sometimes our hearts are a little deceptive. We long for things that perhaps we shouldn't. We ignore the word that uh, is in us, the word that we hear, the words that are spoken, and we deceive ourselves. We trick ourselves. 
we fool ourselves. And then out comes something that it seems, which to us seems like the truth, that somebody else who hears it understands where you're coming from. One of the things about relationships with each other is communication, is it not? Yes, it is. So one of our relationships that we have with the Lord is also the relationship that we have with each other. The Lord is planting something inside of us, his word. I respond, and what comes out? Well, God hears, yes. Sometimes I hear, but then ignore, because I'm deceived. But you hear. Do you have the opportunity to turn to me and say, Aaron, something's not quite right with your brother. Come over here, grab a cup of coffee. Relationships with each other are incredibly important. And it's going to cross all ages. It is going to cross all cultures. It's going to cross the sex barrier. We should listen to each other, hear each other's prayers, acknowledge what we're hearing, and then, if we can, correct each other. True worship, says James, which comes from the heart, expresses itself in the right words and the right actions. In the portion we read today, the caring of the widows and the orphans, taking care of the poor. This is not something that James makes up. It's something that you find in Isaiah, you find it in Jeremiah, where uh, the Lord says true religion is actually taking care of widows and orphans. And if you don't do it, I'll do it. And you don't want me to come down and start doing it. Because it'll get a little nasty for those that aren't doing it. So let's listen to the word that's been planted inside of us and put those things into practice. In our portion from the Gospels, Jesus sums it all up, of course. What goes inside a person isn't as important as what comes out. Now, at the start of the, uh, of the Gospel reading, we have some Pharisees that come down from Jerusalem. Uh, it's an official delegation, and they're here to, to look at his teaching and uh, see what's going on. But the discussion that we have isn't about a doctrinal teaching issue. It's not about something that they heard Jesus say. It's something what they saw disciples do. And they question, why do your disciples, Jesus, not wash uh, properly? Notice they're not challenging Jesus on this. It's possible that Jesus also didn't wash his hands properly, but they don't challenge him on it in the text. It's also possible Jesus kept all the proper rules. Not sure. The point is the text is, is poignant. They're challenging Jesus' disciples on this idea of hand washing. Where do they get that from? Well, they get it from the traditions of the elders, the text says. They get it from the belief of the priesthood of all believers. You ever heard of that expression? The Pharisaical movement believed in the priesthood of all believers. And if the priests of the temple had to wash their hands and their bowls and their cups and do everything, well, if you were a priest, guess what you had to do too? So they superimposed all the priestly uh, ideas and made you do it as well. That's where it comes from, the traditions of the elders. 
they didn't just invent it, they read the text. And they said, look, they're washing their hands, we're all priests, let's all do it too. Jesus challenges them by saying, boy, have you missed this. I'm really glad you're looking at the text with a fine-tooth comb, but you're missing the heart of the matter. The word that was meant to be put inside of them, which they were meant to study, which they were meant to, uh, to, to, to focus on, was meant to produce something that was positive, looking after the poor and the, uh, and, and the widows. But instead, all they could do was attack all they could do was, 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 was hurt with their words. So Jesus says, it's not what goes in your mouth, it's what comes out of your mouth. Now it's interesting that there's a little um, verse which has been added in. And it's verse 19. For it doesn't it go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then out of the body. And then there's brackets, and then the words change from red to black. And it says, in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. To double, double, double check, I spent most of yesterday looking at Greek manuscripts, the Textus Receptus, Vaticanus, Sciaticus, a few variant manuscripts, all double-checking. It's not there. I can tell you now, I have not been able to find one manuscript where that is. In fact, this sentence, in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean, doesn't appear in Bibles, English Bibles, until 100 years ago. So your original King James, that King James wrote, doesn't have it. The Jerusalem Bible written here by French monks that actually had the word of God written in Hebrew, the rest of the Bible's in French, word, name of God written in Hebrew in gold ink, doesn't have it. They just, they just let, let the text say what it says. What Jesus is actually saying is, is, is completely true. Eat food, doesn't even touch your heart, that's actually the issue. It comes out, it's not pleasant, but it's got nothing to do with your body anymore. It's certainly not going to defile you. It might tell you whether you're sick or not, but that's a different story. This has been added by, by people who now think that, okay, Jews who now become believe in Jesus, have a ham sandwich, see what Jesus says. Okay? Prove your loyalty to God. Now, I'm not telling people that they need to eat pork. When, when we have Yom Kippur, it's coming up. There's an interesting prayer that, that the Jewish people will say. It's called Al-Chet, all sins. And it's, 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 you want to talk about a liturgy of confession? They beat us. <laughs> Our liturgy of confession is, Lord, you know, I'm very sorry, word, deed, huh? done one sentence. Theirs is this long list, and they go through every single sin you could possibly think of. Eating pork's not on it. It's forbidden, but it's not a sin. It's forbidden. There are things that are forbidden. Do I know why? No. Do you know why? No. Do most rabbis know why? No. It's forbidden. So that's it. But it's not. if you eat it, it'll come out, don't worry. What's really, really important 
is the word of God in your heart and what comes out in your response to that. Now, how did it get there? How does the word of God get into your heart? Well, lots of ways. The grace of God puts it in your heart. You all have your own personal Mount Sinai experience where you met the Lord. Mine was at a creation versus evolution debate. Other people have experiences. Some people it's a friend. Some people it's a lifelong journey. However it is, the word is implanted inside your heart. Now, what do I do with it? How do I make it? Does it change my life? Well, one way could be the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will open it up to you and you'll just know everything. Okay. I think it's a little bit more complicated than that because um, we don't take our Bible students uh, outside, pray over them the Holy Spirit and say, well, that's Bible college done. You've all got the Holy Spirit. He'll lead you into all truth. Away you go, chaps. No, we make them study, I hope. We all do. The Word of God is planted inside our heart. Now we have a relationship, and that relationship is how we let that word change our hearts. How do I hear the voice of heaven like the, like the Shunammite lady who recognized the voice of Solomon coming and got excited? How do I recognize the word of God on my heart? Lots of ways. One is the Holy Spirit. One is study. Coming into fellowship, hearing a sermon. One is having a Bible study, wrestling with the text, looking at the Bible going, you know, I swear new verses have been added to my Bible every year. I swear. There's even actually been a day in this church where I read the gospel and went, oh my gosh, I've never read that before in my life. What version is this? Sometimes, you know, we just, we, 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 our eyes didn't recognize, our heart didn't hear, our ears didn't either, but, but eventually something, something, clicks. It could be a word you say. It could be a question. It could be an experience. It could take a long time. It could take a short time. And that we're here constantly wanting to hear that word. And then we want to recognize that word. We want to become so intimate with God in that that relationship. That's what it's about, relationship. That we can hear his voice. We can respond to it. We'll get up. We'll dance. We'll sing. We will follow. We will be guided. We will hear our calling. We will understand what what to do. What to do. Jesus says, don't be be a, a hearer of the word only. Be a doer. Blessed is he who hears my words and does them. That's part, that's our relationship. So brothers and sisters, very simple. At the same time, very complicated. Voices, hearing, the word, our actions, they're all combined. And when you see in the liturgy, how did we start our prayer? Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He has planted that word inside of us. He has given the Holy Spirit as our seal. And from whom no secrets are hidden, cleanse it. Create in me a clean heart, O God. I'm going to take out my heart of stone and I'm going to put in a heart of flesh. Circumcise your hearts. It has always been about the heart. 
write these laws on your heart. Jeremiah 31, when I, when I make a new covenant with the house of Israel, my Torah is going to be on their hearts. It's always been about the heart. And it's in, this incredible relationship that we have. And it's reflected here uh, in our confession. We have sinned by thought and word and deed. Things came out. We hurt people with our tongues and we hurt them with our actions. Instead of those loving things that we were supposed to do, we did something else. So brothers and sisters, be, what's the word? Exhorted. This is an exhortation sermon. As for me too, we have to, we have to maintain our relationship with the living God. We thank him for the word made flesh, the word on our heart. We bless him for his spirit that seals us. And we long for ears to hear his voice and the courage to put it into practice. So encourage each other. Put it into practice. The world needs it. Could you imagine a world, well, we've got one, that doesn't like hearing the voice of God anymore? They don't hear. And what's happened to it? It's looking pretty dodgy. But we have an incredible gift to give to this world, a living, dynamic relationship with the Word made flesh. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.